This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So as the weather warms up, we're outside gardening or doing yard work. There are so many opportunities for skin issues, right? And for me, it's always a mystery to know what's going to irritate my skin, but I'm definitely out there itching and scratching. But the good news is active skin repair always seems to save the day. Active skin repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, making it suitable for use on all skin types, all parts of the body, and even on rosacea, eczema, and acne-prone skin. Here's what I want you to do. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and get 20% off your order when you use code JOYFUL. Again, that's www.ActiveSkinRepair.com. Find out more about the product and get 20% off your order when you use the code JOYFUL. I think one of the most defining ways we can help our kids think about a healthy relationship is a relationship that helps them feel good about themselves. It helps them feel confident. It helps them feel hopeful. It helps them feel caring. And it it is a like a value add to all the different parts of their lives. Hey, my friends, welcome back to Joyful Courage, a conscious parenting podcast where we tease apart the challenges and nuances of parenting through adolescent years. I'm your host, Casey O'Rourke, positive discipline trainer and adolescent lead at Sproutable, a company that represents not only the growth of children, but also the journey and evolution that we all get to go through as parents. I'm walking the path right next to you as I navigate the teen parenting years with my own two kids here in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. Joyful Courage is all about grit, growth on the parenting journey, relationships that provide a sense of connection and meaning, and influential tools that support everyone in being their best selves. Thank you for being here. We are over 1 million downloads and 300 plus episodes strong, and you have taken us to the top 1% of podcasts worldwide. I so appreciate you. I want to give all you listeners a heads up. Today is an interview, but starting next week, I'm going to do a series of solo shows all focused on alternatives to punishment. Yes. For six weeks, we're going to deep dive into the mindset shifts and practical tools needed to move away from leaning on punishments and consequences and focusing on where we can strengthen our influence, resulting in more powerful skill building for our teens and more authentic connections with them as well. You don't have to do anything, but tune in each week and come along for the ride. I'm super excited and confident that this limited series will be useful for you. And today, you enjoy the interview. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited to introduce you to the guest today. Some of you will remember her from the Teens and Screens mini summit that I did back in 2020. Christy Keating is the owner of the Heartful Parent Collective, which includes Savvy Parent Safe Kids, the Heartful Parent, and the Heartful Parent Academy. 
As a licensed attorney, Christie spent nearly 20 years as a felony prosecutor in the King County Prosecutor's Office in Seattle, where she spent the latter part of her career specializing in the prosecution of sexually violent predators. Immersed in the world of sexual assault and child sex abuse, Christie developed a deep understanding and expertise in the predatory tactics and abuse assault prevention strategies. She now enjoys educating parents, caregivers, educators, and other professionals so as to help stop these problems before they happen rather than addressing them after the fact. In addition to being a licensed attorney, Christy is a certified parent coach, a certified positive discipline instructor, a certified Gottman educator, and has completed the professionals intensive through hand-in-hand parenting. She's also a longtime leader and speaker at at the Program for Early Parent Support in Seattle and a public speaker and group facilitator with more than 20 years of experience. Christy is energized by helping parents find more love, joy, and connection in their families and with their children by helping them discover newfound energy in their parenting, develop an appreciation for what they have and who they are and create sustainable ways to achieve their vision or dream for their family. Christy lives in the greater Seattle area with her husband of almost 15 years. They're two amazing daughters and a small bevy of animals. Hi, Christy. Welcome back. Hey, Casey. Great to see you. I know. It's good to see you too. Yes. So today we're going to talk about relationship and young love. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Spring is in the air. And when we talked, what did you tell me? What is March the month of? So actually, February is the month of teen dating violence. And okay. then April is, you know, so we're like right in the middle. Right. April is sexual assault prevention month. So there you go. Yeah. Perfect time. Help. Yep. Perfect time to be talking about relationships and young love. Spring is in the air or it will be soon as we record. It is 20 degrees outside and not (laughs) spring, although it's sunny. That's nice. COVID restrictions seem to be lessening. We'll see what happens there. Not that it totally kept our teens from crushing on each other and enjoying each other. So I want to talk first. You know, I've heard a lot. There's been some things that have come up in my community and in my own life and in my like personal community around like first relationships and dating and, you know, all the things. So I'm really excited about this conversation. And, but so the way that my kids say it is, you know, they're talking to each well, they're Snapchatting each other. They're starting to feel some interest. They establish that they're like, quote, talking like that's a thing. Right. And then finally, the big deal is when that determined talking couple is now dating. So what are you hearing about the latest terminology and like the unfolding? Yeah. I mean, I, I think what you've just described is what I'm hearing as well, but there's some interesting things about that. And I think it's a little bit different than when we were growing up in some ways. Mm -hmm. The thing that I think is the same, you know, the terminology has changed a little bit. Like when I was growing up, it was, we were going out. Right. Yeah. And I'm sure there were other phrases that we used, but the thing that hasn't changed is they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. (laughs) For real. (laughs) They're babies. They're baby daters. Such babies. And so like, they don't always know when it goes from Snapchatting to quote unquote, talking to dating, and they aren't real adept at 
always like clarifying that with each other. And the other thing that I think is different in some of this is because of the sort of migration that we've all made as humans towards this online world is that a lot of these things are happening electronically and not in person. And then, and even some of the discussions around sex and sexuality are happening electronically, which puts a really unnatural pressure on those things when they're in person together. So there's been this kind of third element of electronics and electronic communication added into all of this that has kind of disrupted some of the normal cycle for some teens and created a lot of uncertainty. Now, there was a lot of uncertainty when I was a teen too. (laughs) It's not like I had this all figured out at age 16. My guess is you didn't either. (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) No, no, no. I just wanted a boyfriend. I just wanted a boyfriend. Like, yeah. Yeah, that part hasn't changed, right? That part hasn't changed. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think what you're hearing in terms of the terminology is very similar to what I'm hearing. We live in a similar part of the country. There may be, you know, I think sometimes there's other language that is used in other parts of the country, but what has not changed is just the uncertainty and that they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too, like talking about this whole electronic thing. I mean, on one hand, there's this opportunity I mean, we would sit on the phone for five hours, right? Like, yeah. so that existed. And what I'm noticing, cause then you like throw in for the older teens dating apps, mm-hmm. you know, as soon as Rowan turned 18 and she's been on the podcast and talked about Tinder. Yeah. She's on Tinder and I'm like, oh God, <laughs> everybody just wants, you know, it's just sex all the time on Tinder, which isn't necessarily true and not necessarily what my daughter's looking for. It's more of a dopamine rush that somebody's paying attention right. and wants to talk to her. Yeah. But, and she's, that's exactly what she claimed on the podcast, which is a little (laughs) discouraging, I think, to the guys that are talking to her and realizing like, oh, she doesn't actually want to meet me in real life. (laughs) (laughs) She just wants the feel good chemicals. (laughs) Hey friends, as a podcast listener myself, I always get so excited to share when I find a new show that I think is super useful. So today I wanna tell you about Understood Explains. This is a podcast that tackles one important topic per season. And this season is all about navigating individualized education plans and is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube. Getting the support our kids need in school can feel tricky and we aren't always sure what it is that they need. When I listened to the episode titled, Does My Child Need an IEP? It offered up so much useful information that I could really see supporting parents who are in this consideration. The host is so knowledgeable and really breaks down the content in a way that helps listener go from completely overwhelmed to actually starting to feel empowered. Other episodes in the series highlight the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, as well as a whole episode that busts common myths about special education. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Understood Explains. So check it out. You won't be sorry. 
Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Thank God, spring into summer is my favorite time of year. After turning 50 last September, I've been really working on my physical health and well-being and can honestly say that I am feeling better in my body than I have felt in a very long time. Yes, credit goes to movement and working out, but even more credit goes to how I'm feeding my body. That's why I love Factor. I fuel up with Factor's no prep, no mess meals, 35 different meal choices, and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. I always have a new flavor to explore. It's amazing. You can crush your wellness goals this May, keep time in the kitchen to a minimum, and enjoy effortless support for the lifestyle you want to be living with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from Factor. Head over to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use the code joyful50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50. Again, that's 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Yes, yes, yes. Join me. Join me in the health revolution and feel really good this summer. You know, and I guess it's the same in real life. Like how open and willing are they to expose real parts of themselves, whether it's exchanging, you know, Snapchat videos and talking or in real life and talking, there's still, you know, I think on some level it might feel safer to share some deeper things in this like weird electronic way or not. But so I think that's interesting too. And I mean, I, you know, we can go back and recognize how courting and dating has, you know, changed over time. And I know like the term hookup culture wasn't a thing when I was in high school, but I was living the hookup culture dream for sure. Right. You know, I mean that it wasn't like, For me, not for all my friends, but definitely I was a hookup girl because at the end of the day, I just wanted them to be my boyfriend. Right. Right. (laughs) Anyway, it didn't really work out for me in high school. I mean, I think the electronics have made it easier in some ways, but Mm -hmm. I also, you know, and certainly through the pandemic, I mean, a lot of our teens, that's all they had to connect with each other. And so, you know, that changed, but I think it also added a real layer of like it added to the uncertainty and sort of the immaturity of some of these relationships because they weren't getting to hang out in normal, healthy ways. Like many of the, you know, our kids were not in class for a really long time, which not that they're, well, hopefully not hooking up in class, but, but there's an exchange of yeah, energy they're learning for how sure. To interact with each other and they're you know, being around people that they're interested in and just normalizing some of those social interactions in a way that I think can make it a little easier than when they're out of class. Whereas this, you know, everything was happening electronically. So it's just made it even harder. And as parents, we've gotten behind the ball on some of the conversations, which I know we're going to dive into because we were like, well, they're not getting together. So we don't need to talk about it. Right. Right. It doesn't feel like that sense of urgency isn't right in our face. So meanwhile, their brain is continuing to go through its normal development and their bodies are going through its normal development. And like, even in the best of times, right. Minus pandemic, 
it's like the body and yeah, it's like the body is moving forward quicker than their emotional literacy is developing. And so here they are, they're feeling that rush of emotion. And I'm not even talking about sex, like just being in relationship with each other and having those huge crushes. Can you talk a little bit about what's happening in the teen brain as the kids move into these like I like, yes. like you relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that you mentioned that there's kind of a difference between what's going on in their brains and what's going on in their bodies, because, you know, depending on the kid, their bodies are like fully developed by what, anywhere between 15 and 18. Yeah. Or you know, younger, maybe younger. Yeah. I mean, the age that girls are having their periods is becoming younger and younger. So, you know, theoretically their bodies are mature well before their brains, because the most recent brain science shows that, you know, full brain development and the development of that prefrontal cortex, which is where our judgment lives and our risk assessment lives and all of those things doesn't finished development until around age 25, which it's funny that you, you know, that we're talking about this because last night at the dinner table, I have two kids myself and we have an au pair that lives with us who's 19. And we were talking about this and I looked at them and I was like, the three of you are sitting here with fully undeveloped brains. (laughs) And they looked at me like I was nuts. But when they start to fall in, I'm going to say like, I mean, this happens for brains that are in love as well for adults, but, and I'm not trying to discount the teenage experience, like what they are feeling are feelings of love, not often in the same committed way that you or I might think about love, but there's, you know, we have these feel good chemicals in our brains. They're often referred to as the dose chemicals, which are dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. And those all are kind of playing a role in what's going on when we're experiencing feelings of love. So what the research shows is that dopamine, that first one, we get a huge kick of it. That's released during attraction. It kind of causes feelings of like euphoria and, you know, we get giddy and energetic and we've probably, we've all recognized this in ourselves. Oh God, if we could only just bottle that and I know, drink right? it on the daily. <laughs> I know. You know, I've actually, my, oh, my husband and I have been together 18 years now and I love him dearly, but you know, there's not that same giddy feeling that I had in the first week. Oh yeah. Months Summer of love was over a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Love him. Love the guy. And- love him. I love him dearly, but those chemicals aren't being released quite in the same way. So we see huge, you know, kicks of that dopamine. We see big kicks of oxytocin, which is that second dose chemical I was talking about. And then I should go back and say oxytocin is often thought of as like the cuddle hormone, (laughs) just kind of a use that too. (laughs) Yeah. Funny way of referring to it, but man, yeah, if we could bottle those two and go back to those feelings, wouldn't that be awesome? And then weirdly, we see a drop in serotonin, which is sort of conducive again to those feelings of lust and love and that giddy euphoria. So there's all these things happening in their brains, like their brains are being flooded with these hormones that make them feel awesome. But you take that and you couple it with an undeveloped prefrontal cortex where their skills at judgment and, you know, risk taking are maybe not as honed as parents would like them to be. Mm -hmm. And there is a recipe for awesomeness. And there's also a recipe for potential, 
you know, not awesome. Like, I, don't, yeah. I hesitate to use the word disaster, but in some well, cases, I think that's it's, an accurate word. Yeah. Or pain, just simple yeah. pain. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, my daughter was in a long relationship for a while there. And I remember talking to my husband, like, God, hopefully they're together forever because the breakup is not something I am excited to have to hold space for. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it just felt really scary. And it's so interesting, those chemicals too, like, even, you know, and something that I'm seeing my, son kind of play with is like taking it slow. Like he's learned over time, like recognizing you can feel one way one day. Mm-hmm. And after a few days, like you might feel different. So don't do anything rash. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. take it slow, you know? Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that that's landed. Yeah. And he's had the benefit of an older sister and watching, right, yeah. watching that unfold for sure. And a mom yeah. who's like, let's talk about it. So this is all happening in their brains. Yep. What are, and you said, you know, those crucial conversations, what are the conversations that we, I mean, everyone, you have to have the sex talk and you should have been having the sex talk for many, many years by the time yes. you're listening to this podcast. Okay. Yes. But as far as like being an intimate, I don't know if that's the right word, but like romantic, I don't even know if romantic's the right word, but like, like, like relationship. Yeah. What are those? How do we talk about healthy relationship with our teens? Yeah, it's such a good question. And I actually think intimate is okay because there can be emotional intimacy too, right? Right, 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 right. right. And there's some level of hopefully, you know, as relationships develop, some level of at least emotional and intimacy taking place. And the bad news is that we are, you know, I think many of us as parents have said, I want to do a better job than my parents did for me in many different ways. And certainly anyone listening to your podcast case is of that mindset, right? Like they're trying to do well for their kids. We are all trying to do well for them and by them. And the reality is we're not, as a culture, we're not succeeding when it comes to issues like dating and sex. And you're right. Parents should have been having the sex talk, you know, or talking about sex and sexuality and love for years, And there are undoubtedly people on this, you know, listening to this conversation that have not been having that conversation. And I want to make it really clear that it's not too late. Like it's never too late. Like, please have it and have it now. Even if you think they know everything, they don't. What they're learning is often from porn, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. And that is not a model of a healthy, loving relationship. And it's not what I want for my kids, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and even if they're not watching porn, like just the presentation of sex and relationship in popular culture, yes. TV shows and movies isn't necessarily like it's a rare show where you're like, oh, well, look at them. Yeah. Well done. You know, like yeah. so for sure. I mean, it's coming at them from all different angles. Right. So. There was a really interesting research project that came out of Harvard called Making Caring Common. And in that, they were interviewing like late teens and young adults about the information that they got from their parents about all of these things, sex, love, and relationships. And what that showed is that more than 50% of parents have the sex talk either only once or never, right? Which means- Yikes. I know it's horrifying. So that means like, you know, the majority of parents or the majority of kids are not getting a lot of information about that from their parental figures. 
In contrast to that, what it showed is that let's say 70% of these, you know, older teens and young adults wished that they had received more information from their parents about all of these things, sex, love, and relationships. Mm -hmm. So we have these like opposing statistics where they're not getting it and they want it. And one of the reasons I hear from parents about why they're not having these conversations is they're like, my kids don't want to hear it from me. They don't, right. They don't want it from me. They won't listen to me. And so I'm just going to, okay, let them get it somewhere else. But the research isn't bearing that out. Like they do want to hear from us. Right. And I think it's important to know just because they're not asking. And even if they grimace or roll their eyes. Yes. Right. Just because they're not like, oh, great. I've been waiting to have this conversation with you, mom. You know, it doesn't mean like what you're saying is that's not an indicator, you know, that they don't want the information from us. Short and sweet, everyone, by the way, this isn't a two hour conversation. This is many short conversations. Yes. Yes. Hundreds of two minute conversations or five minute conversations. You know, the other thing that we know from that research project is that over 60% of teens and young adults have never had a conversation about the importance of not pressuring someone into sex. What? Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. With their parents. I should clarify with their parents. Okay. 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 But a lot of them aren't getting it. Like they're not getting it in school either. Really? Right. 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 We might mention the word consent, but we're not translating that into ways that they get it. So they're not hearing from the most prominent people in their lives about these really critical things. So the first thing I would say is we just have to like, we're going to do it imperfectly, but we just have to dive in. Yeah. You know, It may be imperfect. They may roll their eyes. They may say they don't want to hear it. We have to keep going back and doing it. And then we have to not just talk to them about sex. We have to talk to them about relationships. Like, you know, a lot of the things that we can talk with them about will translate both into the realm of friendships Mm -hmm. and romantic relationships. Because, you know, when we're in a brand new friendship, we can also get some of those sort of love chemicals, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's new and an exciting thing to have a a friend that we feel like we're really connected with. Right. There's, you know, not usually the same level of risk involved there, but we can phrase or frame some of this in the way, you know, like we're talking about relationships in general, and Mm -hmm. then we can drill into the romantic, intimate relationships just to make it a little bit easier to get into that conversation with our kids. And then we have to talk to them about like, what does a healthy relationship look like? And what are the red flags and warning signs for an unhealthy relationship? Ideally, we'll have this conversation with them before they're ever in a relationship so that when those red flags or if those red flags happen, they can recognize it and say, oh, this isn't quite right. Right. But even if, again, it's never too late, even if they're in the midst of a relationship where mom or dad is seeing red flags, like we can still talk about it. So give me a couple talking points. As I'm listening to you, I'm thinking to myself like, right. And that those hormones are flooding their system and we're seeing red flags Mm -hmm. and they might even like see some red flags, but it's like overridden. So anyway, I'm feeling that. But before we get to that, like, what are some talking points for, like, if we're going to talk about healthy relationship, what are just some little nuggets that listeners can jot down real quick and make sure they hit with their kids? Yeah. So I think one of the most defining ways 
that we can help our kids think about a healthy relationship is a relationship that helps them feel good about themselves. It helps them feel confident. It helps them feel hopeful. It helps them feel caring. And it, it is a, like a value add to all the different parts of their lives, right? It is helpful in terms of, you know, them committing to the things they love, school activities, Mm -hmm. right? Instead of drawing or pulling away from those things. So, you know, it's much easier to tell you what the red flags are for an unhealthy relationship than it is to define a healthy one because there's so many different, you know, iterations of a healthy relationship, but just this is a good start though. Open confidence. Yeah. I love that. And I really appreciate that piece around committing. Like, what did you say? That it supports the commitments. Supports the commitments. Yeah. I think that's a good way to phrase it, that it supports the commitments that they've made and the things that they care about. Right. Rather than, you know, trying to get them to pull away from those things. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about red flags. Yeah. So, and this is, you know, where, when we're talking to our kids, especially if they're not currently in a relationship where we're seeing red flags, you know, I'm a big fan of like open conversations back and forth, asking Mm -hmm. a lot of questions of our kids, but we do at some point also just need to like, we kind of need to list these for them. Right. Yeah. Here's what you got to be aware of. So some of the things to be really tuned into a partner who is monitoring your phone, you know, your email, your social media accounts, like tracking your activity on those platforms a partner who puts you down frequently, especially if they're doing it in front of other people. I mean, it's not good in private at all, right? but if they've gone to the place where they're even willing to do that in front of others, it's almost like a heightened red flag. You know, a partner who isolates them from family, friends, their beloved activities, right? My daughter's a dancer. And if she suddenly stopped dancing because, you know, a partner was isolating her from that, that'd be a huge red flag someone who isolates them financially. Now that's often, we think about that more with adults, but there are even ways that teens can kind of get financial power over their partners. And just that emotional and physical isolation, extreme jealousy, insecurity, or neediness. And this is so hard because neediness is almost like a defining characteristic of many teen relationships, right? Right, right. And so it's one of those things where there's no black and white, like this is needy, this isn't needy. There, It's a fine line in between them. And that's where we have to sort of explore with question mm-hmm. with our teens. Like, have we crossed into the bounds of, wow, this is unnatural, unhealthy neediness. Right. And would that sound like, wow, I'm noticing that... Like, does that kind of, when it starts to overlap into beloved activities and friends and family. And so that could be an indicator of that excessive. Yeah. Noticing that your girlfriend is like contacting you at all hours of the day, needing your attention. Like, how's that landing for you? You know, that's so interesting though, Christy, because that's what they do all day long is, I mean, it's not like, you know, it's just like pictures of one eyeball or their shoes on the floor. (laughs) Right. Hello, Snapchat. Right. And so, yeah. So differentiating between that and then maybe it sounds like, well, you left me hanging for an hour. Where were you? What were you doing? Okay. Yeah. And part of this is 
Also, you know, there's a learning progression here. So our teens are going to be needy with one another, but helping them recognize that that's not a long-term sustainable plan and that that's not a necessarily a healthy way of interacting. So like if that was the only red flag, right, that they're sending pictures of their eyeballs or their shoe or whatever. Well, no, that's right. not a red flag. That's normal. That's normal. Right. That's <laughs> And that's what I would say. Like if that's yeah. the only thing going on, like we can talk to them about, okay, how do we bring this into the realm of sort of a sustainable, loving relationship? Right. But I wouldn't say, ah, oh, yikes, this is one that's headed for, you know, some form of right. partnership or relationship violence. Right. Or tech, yeah. you know, like getting, setting some limits on like, hmm, I noticed you had 45 million pickups during school today on your yeah. phone. Like, let's talk about that. Right. Anyway. Right. <laughs> so it's on the list of red flags, but we have to take all of these in context with the other things. Sure. So sure. there's also, you know, we have to make sure they know that explosive outbursts, you know, really extreme tempers, mood swings, and any form of physical harm, like massive red flags going on there. A partner who's really possessive or controlling, you know, where we cross from neediness into controlling behavior, that's definitely a red flag for me. And I feel like this should go without saying, but it doesn't. A partner that pressures them in any way into any form of physical activity, right? Anywhere from holding hands to intercourse, Mm-hmm. That should not be done under pressure or coercion. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that's a pretty good bullet point list of things that we need to be aware of and making sure they know, like, these are not signs of a healthy relationship. And if they're happening in your relationship, you know, in our kids' relationships, we need them to know, we need them to hear that we will be there for them. Like we're not going to judge them if that's happening and that we will help them if they need it. And just really approaching this with that loving, gentle, you know, sort of approach and recognizing this is a learning process for our kids, but that there are some things that are just not okay. Yeah. And I'm thinking about the tool of connecting before correcting. Right. Yeah. And, you know, as you're listening, I'm sure that there's people listening who are like, yeah, I know that there's some unhealthy stuff happening in my child's relationship. And as you go into that conversation, and I think you'd agree, Christy, like the starting point is you really care about this person and what a great time in your life to get to experience you know, a powerful relationship like this, I want to talk to you about some concerns that I have. And I'm just curious as to how you're experiencing them, right? So versus my approach was, you guys are codependent. Let's talk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So the way you framed that, not the codependent part, but the first first one (laughs) is a really loving, kind way to approach this with our kids. And is... I think so important because they will shut down so fast. You know, if we go yeah. in with judgment and I'm going to get you out of this relationship and. Well, not only that, yeah, like closes the window of any kind of self-reflection on the relationship. And it becomes like, my mom is such a bitch. Yes. Right. It just changed. There's no inner reflection there. It just becomes about how you don't get it. Mom or dad doesn't get it. Mom or dad, you know, is whatever, X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. Yeah. The other thing in all of this, and you kind of touched on this is, you know, it's so easy for us as adults, you know, I'm 
approaching 50 here. I've been in a relationship for 18 years, you know, and like, I feel like I have a pretty good handle on what a true loving committed relationship is and looks like. It's really easy from that place to get judgmental and to sort of say, like, this isn't real love, right? And yeah, don't say that, people. <laughs> like, dismiss their experience. Yeah. I had a kindergartner who was like, I have a crush on a boy in my class, right? And if I had dismissed that as like, ha right, that's ridiculous. That doesn't set my kid up for, you know, wanting to talk to me when they're older. So if we go into this with this sort of dismissive, like, you'll get over it. It's like, this isn't okay. Just get out of the relationship. We not only will they not get out of the relationship and will they form that narrative of my mom's a bitch, but we can pretty much guarantee like they're not going to talk to us about anything Mm -hmm. if it does get dangerous or scary, right? Because we've now demonstrated that we're not open and available to them. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Yeah. Some other questions that are coming up for me to ask our kids is, you know, and the questions that I do ask when I find out that there's a little crush going on or some exploration is like, what do you like about this person? Mm -hmm. You know, like what's drawing you in? What are you talking about? What are they into? Right? Like I want to know the pull, right? For my kids. And I try to everyone working on the neutral curiosity, right? Neutral curiosity and like not expecting again, a 30 minute conversation about, you know, the power of relationship, but just like, Oh, that's fun. You know, cool. Yeah. Let me know how it goes or don't like, (laughs) yeah. You know, and I think coupled with that, when we think of that definition that I kind of gave for what a healthy relationship looks like, Mm -hmm. we can kind of surreptitiously sprinkle those things into the questions that we ask, like, oh, you know, does so-and-so, you know, make you feel really good? You know, are you feeling confident? You know, are you feeling hopeful? Or if we're noticing some changes in them, like we can say, you know, I'm noticing that it seems like you're a lot more worried lately or Mm -hmm. down or depressed or you know, tell me about that. Like, and we can kind of link that gently back to the relationship, as you said, sort of with that open curiosity, neutral curiosity. 
Yeah. And for those of you that are listening who are like, yeah, but I say, tell me about that. And my kids don't say anything to me, even dropping in with some curiosity and not getting a response and not being attached to getting a response and like letting them know that you love them and leaving the room, you're still planting the opportunity for self-reflection there. Like, you know, when you were saying like that whole idea, well, I haven't given the talk because they haven't been interested. Like, don't think that they don't want to hear these things or that it doesn't matter simply because they're not giving you this like really open, oh yeah, let's talk about it response. Most of them aren't. Right. They're not going to sit down, you know, like I might sit down with one of my best girlfriends and talk about, right. (laughs) Relationships or whatever, like they're not going to do that. But, you know, to loop back to what we were saying at the beginning of this, the research shows that they want to hear from us. And I would argue that even the ones that answered that, who said, I didn't really want to hear about it from my parents, they still needed to. Right. (laughs) Right. And our job as parents is to give our kids what they need. Yeah. (laughs) Right. What they need, not what they want. And so we have to, you know, when we can sprinkle those little bits of information in, even if we're not getting that deep conversation back from them it's still somewhere going to percolate in their brains and it matters and will serve them in the long run. Yeah. So something came up in my Facebook group, heartbreak, right? Heartbreak. Mama shared a story of her son and his first breakup and he didn't want to talk about it. And she knew the right thing to do was to just let him be. How do we, Christy, prepare our hearts for their heartbreak, which is inevitable and so painful to witness? Do you have any thoughts about that? Oh, I do. And, you know, I don't think it's all that different from the things that we had to do when they were little and they had their first, you know, fight with a friend or, you know, felt excluded from a group of friends or something because it is so hard to watch our kids feel crappy, you know, physically crappy, emotionally crappy. Like we just, there's, you know, when we are in connected relationship, that empathy muscle gets put on high alert when our kids are hurting. And so there's no perfect answer to this other than one, we need to know that this is going to happen. It is. And we just have to accept that as a reality Two, I think we can remind ourselves that it happened to us and that we survived it and that our kids will survive it too. Three, I think we can also remind ourselves that as hard as it is to watch them go through it, it's actually probably good for them. Like it's a healthy part of learning to be in in and manage relationships. And so, you know, just like when our toddlers jump off the stairs or the jungle gym or whatever and hurt themselves. Like there's learning that came from that. There's learning that will come out of this heartbreak as well. And then the final piece for us as parents, which is true forever and will be something I preach forever is the value of doing all of the things that we need to do to take care of ourselves. So, you know, we can call it self-care that's become a super trendy word, Mm -hmm. but we do, we have to take care of us and do the things that build our emotional reserves so that we can be there emotionally for them Mm -hmm. and then help them understand, yeah, this is really hard and you're not going to feel like this forever. Yes. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. And so just, I know that there are those two other crucial conversations that we didn't really focus on that 
you know, talking about sex and talking about consent, but you have, is it a handout? Is it a blog post? What do you got? You have something that's really useful for parents that I want you to tell them where they can find it as far as the consent piece goes or whatever you've got. What do you got? Yeah. So I have a five page handout that parents can download on my website. If they go to theheartfulparent.com slash consent. Okay. And we'll put that link in the show notes to parents and listeners. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And they can download it there. And what it does is it talks about how not to talk to our teens, how, you know, can talk to them in a way to kind of at least create the possibility of a deeper conversation. It talks a bit about the, what I call the omegas of consent. Actually, that's a second handout that they'll get with it. And then the top 10 critical conversations around this that we need to have with them. Awesome. Perfect. Oh, thank you for spending time with me. Oh, thank you. You know, this is one of those conversations that it's uncomfortable for so many different reasons, but mostly because we want to do better than our parents did, but we don't know how. We're clumsy. Yeah, we're clumsy. clumsy It's okay to be clumsy, everyone. Just just live your best clumsy life. Yeah. So I'm just (laughs) grateful that you're willing to have this conversation because I know that I know your listeners are, you know, they want this information for sure way that their kids want information about relationships. Yeah. Yes. Yes. What does joyful courage mean to you today, Christy? You know, I was thinking about this and I'm at a place in my own parenting where I think parenting is perhaps one of the most courageous acts that we do as humans. You know, it's natural and biological and all of that. And it's also really freaking hard and it takes an incredible amount of courage to do it. And, you know, that messaging that it's hard is pretty common in our culture, but what's not common is that we can do it courageously and joyfully. And I almost think like doing that, you know, doing the courageous things that we need to do, having these hard conversations and doing it with joy is like the perfect act of defiance against this sort of cultural messaging that we get. So that's what joyful courage means to me is leaning into it with joy, but doing the brave thing. Yay. We'll end it there. Thank you so much. Thank you, Casey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I adore this community. I'm so happy to bring you conversations that matter to you. Make sure you're on my email list. Go to besproutable.com slash teens and get signed up now so you stay up to date on all the things. And you'll get seven tips over seven days to support you in nurturing stronger connections with your tweens and teens. We could all use that, right? If you feel inspired and you haven't already, do me a favor and head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We're working really hard to stand out and make a massive impact on families around the globe. Your review helps the Joy for Courage podcast to be seen by even more parents. Thank you. Thank you to the team at Sproutable for your backend help and Chris Mann at podshaper.com for your always epic editing. This show sounds so good because of you. I'm honored that each and every one of you listen each week. We are all doing the best we can in the moment. That includes you. See you next week for the start of the Alternatives to Punishment limited series. Have a beautiful day. Bye.
feel like you're the martyr in your family, you're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.